Hey, can you think of a teacher in your life who especially made an impact on you? Most of us probably can. I've heard a lot of this was my favorite teacher stories over the years. Well, for you, who comes to your mind and why? And my guess is for the why part, there may be a lot of different reasons why a particular teacher stands out in your mind as being one of your favorites. So in some cases, it might have very little to do with what you actually learned in class. It might have more to do with just that, that teacher's character. They were your favorite teacher because of their, their character. I've always said as an adult that uh, my favorite um, teacher in elementary school was Mrs. Werner. Mrs. Werner was my fourth grade teacher. And if you ask me this morning, well, well what did you learn in fourth grade? Here would be my answer. I have no idea. I mean, I'm assuming it was something. I'm assuming it was something. But, but that's not why Mrs. Werner stands out in my heart and mind as my favorite teacher. The reason is because in my recollection, it's just because she was unusually kind. Unusually kind to me and unusually kind to the rest of the people in the class. And I realize you might hear that and say, like, that's the best you got? I mean, the, 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 your, your favorite teacher because of, uh, she was kind? And I don't know if there was just something going on in my heart and life or that especially just spoken. I'm not exactly sure why, but that is the truth. It was just, just her, her character. In other cases for you, it might be, well, the, the reason that teacher stands out is because he or she taught me a particular concept for the very first time. When I think about that particular category, I think of my sixth grade social studies teacher who did a, a, a series of lessons on the Holocaust. And at least in my memory, that's the first time I ever remember learning anything about that particular period of history. And, and even now, I can remember some of the pictures that were in our social studies book and some of the, the visuals that that teacher put up on the, the screen just to help us learn more about the Holocaust. And it just it seared that sad period of time in our um, world's history into my heart. And, and my, my point is, I'm very glad for, for a teacher. I'm sure that was hard information, difficult to teach. I, I'm very glad for a teacher who was willing to, to share that with us. Now, now for somebody else, it, it might be a teacher who can convinced you about the importance and the centrality of an idea so profoundly that that became one of your core beliefs that's with you even to this day. You believe that, and everybody who knows you knows you believe it. And if you pulled that thread out long enough, you could say, and the reason I believe it is because of that particular teacher. Now, when I say it that way, this particular gentleman comes in mind. In fact, if you talk to anybody who went to Baptist Bible College in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania in the, the 70s and the 80s, and just ask them about one of their favorite teachers, it probably wouldn't be long till they'd be talking about that guy right there. That's um, Dr. Rembert Carter. Dr. Carter received his Ph.D. from the University of Edinburgh, and they do not give that degree out in Cracker Jack boxes. I mean, you have to be super committed and super intelligent in order to earn a degree like that. And he taught um, freshman and sophomore level classes like the history of Western civilization. Did you ever have that one? or fine arts, or Baptist distinctives. And his lectures, in fact, just looking at that picture for me, I mean, it just, they, they were mesmerizing. 
He, he didn't just kind of drone on. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, they, they, they were mesmerizing lectures. And the reason is he really believed what he was teaching. And, and you knew he wanted you to believe it. He wanted you to believe it badly. By the way, if you're wondering, well, how did you do in his classes? Well, not, not so good. Um, I remember distinctly, we're in a freshman lecture hall filled with students. Um, it was fine arts class, and he said, for, and I don't remember why he felt the need to announce this to the entire class, but he said, Byers, you are a cultural clod. That, that's what he said to me in fine arts. Hard to argue that point, and that surely gave some of my friends more ammunition to, to tease me. He also, he gave eraser tests. You ever taken an eraser test? The way an eraser test works, you get, a, you get your test. It was a multi-choice um, test, but it also had like, and Pastor Burke explained this part to me, like a lottery card with it. And so you had to, you scratched off the answers, and the challenge was your test for the person sitting was different than the person sitting next to you, so you couldn't cheat. But you had to scratch off, and you kept scratching off till you found the right answer. That was the whole point. There was an, an immediate teaching uh, point because you had to keep scratching till you found the right answer, and then you were graded by how few scratches you had to have in order to complete the test. It was maddening, maddening. So you're, just, you're sitting there with your nickel. Do I really want to scratch that one? Do I really scratch? And you even learn little tricks like you could scratch it just a little bit, and, and, and you know... <laughs> Oh, my, my, my. But, but, but some of you know this because you've seen this in Intro to Faith. Even to this day, often in Intro to Faith, I'm asked the question, what do Baptists believe? What, what are the so-called Baptist distinctions? And bam, I, I don't have to look into some sort of a notebook or whatever. I've got those seared into my heart. B, biblical authority. A, autonomy of the local church. P, priesthood of the believers, etc., etc., etc. Well, why has that become such an important part of just what I believe about Scripture the answer is that guy right there, one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Rembert Carter. This summer we're talking about hope for faithful service. And so the first message is focused on fruitful character from 2 Peter 1, 5 to 7. I hope you enjoyed those passages and those lessons because it's so very, very important. Well, now we've pivoted. The second half of the summer is the discussion of spiritual gifts. And you might say, well, how does that kind of fit together logically. The answer is one of the primary reasons we can have hope for fruitful service, because we all want to have that, right? We want to have hope for fruitful service. Well, one of the reasons we can have that is the amazingly encouraging truth that God has given every one of His children. Are you one of God's children this morning? Has there been a definite time in your life where you've acknowledged your need of Christ and you've placed your trust in Him? If you have, then here's what Scripture teaches. God has given each one of His children at least one spiritual gift. You got one. And it was given for the building up of the body of Christ. And Peter talked about that in 1 Peter 4.10 when he said, As each one. Again, do you fit into each one? And by the way, this message is for those who know that they know that they know that they're on their way to heaven. If you're not quite there yet, we would encourage you first to... Follow Christ, to trust Him as Savior and Lord for all sorts of reasons, including that, as each one has received a spiritual gift, employ it, what? In serving one another. Don't just use your gift to advance your kingdom. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the, the manifold grace of God. That's some very, very good news. No doubt about that. Now, 
In the New Testament, there, there are several different passages of Scripture that list some of the spiritual gifts. And I chose to say it that way on purpose because as you compare the different so-called spiritual gift lists in the New Testament, what's interesting is the lists aren't identical. So you have to decide, what are you going to do with the fact that there are different key passages in the New Testament that list the spiritual gifts, but the gifts aren't identical? Well, I think many Bible students would conclude this about that, that the lists then aren't intended to be exhaustive. The, the, the lists are intended to be illustrative. Well, the particular passage that we're centering on for the second half of the summer is Romans 12, 6 to 8. Since we have gifts that differ, and by the way, aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God not only gives us gifts but different spiritual gifts? Wouldn't you agree that having one cultural clod was probably enough? I'm not sure that would be a spiritual gift. But, but anyway, anyway, one, one is enough. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace, we just keep hearing that it's God's grace. According to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, right? Yeah. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with, with, with cheerfulness. Well, well, this morning we're looking at two of those gifts that are certainly complementary. We're talking about finding hope in the Spirit's gifts of, of teaching and exhortation. With that in mind, I want to invite you to open your Bible this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. So 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning, the gifts of teaching and, and exhortation. And that's on page 163 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you if you'd like to use that this morning. Now, while you're turning there, let me just kind of have a bit of a process discussion here. What are we planning to do with this whole concept this morning? Well, the, the, the gifts of teaching and exhortation, especially as they're laid out in the passage of Scripture that we're going to read, it's speaking first and foremost of pastors. There's no doubt about that. But, but I want to be sure that I said it, it's a very short walk from there to all sorts of different teaching positions in the local church. Because when you just stop and think about it, it's amazing, and I think also encouraging, how many women and men in a given week in this church are doing some kind of teaching. So you start thinking about Sunday school teachers, you think about youth leaders, you think about small group leaders. It's just amazing how many teachers there are in this church, and certainly what we're talking about from this passage could easily be said of them. And many of us would say this, Boy, I and members of my family, we benefit from one or more of the teachers at this church week in and week out. Wouldn't you say that? Well, what, what is that? When you or your family members are benefiting in that way, what is that? That's God's grace is what that is. That's the Lord graciously giving us gifts, men and women who have the ability to teach the Word of God in ways that help draw people to Christ and then equip us to be more like God's Son. Now, it also suggests that we could extrapolate that out to other forms of teaching as well. So, so what we're talking about this morning, sure, we could talk about pastors, we could talk about teachers formally in the church, but we could talk about more than that. We could surely talk about parents, could we not? Well, why is that? Because moms and dads, and you can say it about grandparents too, are, are, are teachers. You agree with that, don't you? 
In fact, many of us would say that some of the, the truths that we believe most deeply in our hearts right now, we got them where? We got that one from Dad. We got that one from Mom. We got that one from Grandma. We got that one from Grandpa. They, 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 they what? Well, they, they, they taught us. Then, as Pastor Burke prayed, there's all these teachers getting ready to, to go back to school. And I realized some of you students might say, Don't say it! <laughs> And I realize the teachers may scream that one even louder, but it's happening. So whether we're talking about homeschool, whether we're talking about public school, whether we're talking about Christian school, and my point is there are general principles that are found in this particular passage of Scripture that would apply to to them as well. And what I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to weave those applications into the message as we walk down through all of this. So, So with that in mind, 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 13 where Paul says this, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Please note that, too. And here's our, here's our gifts now, to exhortation and teaching. Those were listed in Romans 12. Here they are again. Now, now listen to this. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. Did all of God's children get that? Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Listen, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. So this is interesting. So that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. If you remember Acts 20 and Paul's discussion with the Ephesian elders, it's right there. Pay close attention to yourselves and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. And then what you hear, read at the end is it's amazing. For as you do this, you will, you'll ensure salvation. <laughs> wow. You'll ensure salvation both for yourself We're going to have to talk about what that means, and also for those who hear you. So we're talking about finding hope in the the Spirit's gifts of teaching and exhortation. And with the time we have remaining, we just want to walk down through the logic of those verses, looking for five challenges for those who are, are called to be teachers. First of all, this, embrace the teacher's focus. Where Paul told Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation and teaching. It's really interesting how much of this entire section of Scripture has to do with on what is a teacher going to focus? What are you going to prioritize? So if God has given you a teaching gift in any way, shape, or form, you have to decide what you're going to do with it. And you have to decide how much emphasis you're going to place on developing that gift. And when we're talking about teaching in a church or teaching as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to give attention to the Word of God. There it is. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Now let's back up for a minute. Who was Timothy anyway? Well, he was Paul's son in the faith, and he was a very, very dear man. You may remember what Paul said to the Philippians about Timothy, the man who's receiving these words we're studying this morning. When Paul said this, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, there's our man, to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I hear of your condition. And then he said this, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Remember that because that's going to come up again in exhortation. Genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, Timothy. He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. That's high praise right there. 
when the Apostle Paul would say that about somebody else, that's very, very meaningful. Now, now, many Bible teachers believe that this particular book, 1 Timothy, was written after Paul had been released from his first imprisonment. And Timothy had been left behind to pastor the church at Ephesus and address a number of the problems that were lingering there. Well, what was Timothy's source of truth going to be as he had to deal with all of these problems in the church? In other words, on what was he going to focus as a teacher? Well, the answer is the Word of God. Paul would later say to Timothy in his next book, preach the Word. There it is. Be ready in season and out of season. (laughs) I wonder what season we're in these days. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine. Can you imagine that? But wanting to have their ears tickled. Can you imagine that? They'll, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to, to, to miss. That's why any person who serves as a teacher in any way, shape, or form of faith. Let me speak for all of them for a minute if I can. Thank the Lord for the men and women who attend church here. See, why would you say that? Because the people who, on par, generally, who attend this church are very easy to teach. Say, why? Why did the average person who's going to walk into any of our campuses this morning, why did they come? Did they come to have their ears tickled? I don't think so. They came because they want to hear what the Bible says. And they want to hear what the Bible means, and they want to hear how the Bible applies practically to everyday life. And Paul describes that process with two very important words. One of them is exhortation. And I really want to encourage you to to lock on to this concept because it's such an important aspect in the Word of God. Para kaleo, it's a beautiful word. Especially emphasize para, which means come alongside. That's the key thing. Kaleo means to call. So teaching, exhortation, it's not just disseminating information to people that you don't know or care about. What we're talking about, coming alongside, it personalizes the process. Sunday before last, I had the opportunity to be up in Crown Point. Um, I have a friend that pastors up there, and God has blessed his church um, marvelously, and so very, very thankful for what's going on there, and so thankful just to have him as a friend. And so he's been asking me now for a couple of years to come up and, and speak at their church. And so I had a Sunday that I was not scheduled to be at one of our campuses here, and so we had decided some time ago that, um, Lord willing, I, I would speak for them a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I did. And I'm glad for those opportunities. I, I don't do that very often. Usually that happens if I'm in a different country and I'm speaking at a church while I happen to be there just because of travel. And, and so I, I, I don't want to in any way diminish the value of the opportunity, but I will tell you this. I don't enjoy that nearly as much. That, that, that's not my, I'll do whatever the Lord wants me to do, and I'll do whatever our church would like me to do, but, but I don't prefer those kind of speaking situations. you know why? Because I don't know them, right? and they don't know me. It's hard to have the para, the, the parakaleo, because you just couldn't have the relationship. And on the other side, think about the teachers in your life, think about the teachers in our church, that they care about you. They know you. And you know them, and, and, and there's an ability to speak truth into somebody else's life in that format that is very, very delightful. 
Well, there's also just the word teaching. That literally means the systematic explanation of the Word of God. And there's a beautiful picture of that in the book of Nehemiah. You remember back in the, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, you realize that that book's not just about building a wall. That's a book about building people. And so after the wall was up, there's several more chapters which are fascinating. And here's what Nehemiah 8 reports. Ezra, oh, and I want to encourage you right, right now, picture this in your mind, this day. Ezra opened the book. He opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Can you picture that? While lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped. Are, are you picturing this? Worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, a whole bunch of guys who had really long names. The Levites explained, here, here's the point, they explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so they understood the reading. W- what is that? That's teaching. That's what that is. Uh, and Paul tells Timothy, give your attention to that. Now, if you say, well, how... how How powerful is that concept? Give your attention to that. Here's a clue. And if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, and I know some of you say, I can't write in my Bible because i got my Bible on my phone. You realize that doesn't count, right? I mean, (laughs) that doesn't count. Maybe I shouldn't say that as an old guy. But anyway, if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, I would encourage you to do this. In chapter 4, verse 13, you see that, that phrase, give attention You could circle that at least in your mind and then go back to chapter 3, verse 3, because the exact same word is found in chapter 3, verse 3. What word do you think it is? Because now we're talking about the um, qualifications of a pastor. Chapter 3, verse 3, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. What, What do you think is the same word as giving attention? Here's the answer, addicted. You think about the way a person who is addicted to wine would be so focused on his or her alcohol. And Paul's using the exact same word when he talks about giving attention to the Word of God. That's the kind of attention we're talking about this morning. And I would like to encourage you. I hope you pray for your pastors. Do you do that? We need it. And we'll take it anytime we can get it. But we could especially use it on Mondays and Tuesdays. Why Mondays and Tuesdays? It's because that's when whoever is assigned has the privilege of speaking at one of our campuses the following Sunday. That's when we prepare our messages. And you say, why why is that? There's a lot of reasons. One is we want to be sure that the, the messages get out to the folks who are translating it. We want to be sure that the worship team has plenty of time to know what we're going to do so they can weave in the, the worship songs. We want to be sure that we're not jamming up staff with just PowerPoints and, and um, uh, the handout, just, just logistical issues. We don't want to jam them up. But, but the biggest reason is we, here's what can happen to a pastor. It's amazing how much administration can crowd things out. I'm telling you, email, God bless them. They're, they're like cockroaches. You kill one, two, come to the funeral. I mean, it's just amazing how many, um, just, just, just how much administration and, and, and what we try to do, we're going to pry it. We're, we're not going to let administration, we're not going to let all the other busyness of ministry crowd out exactly what Paul is saying here. Give attention to the Scripture. Be sure that that is going to be your focus. And we covet your prayers as we're studying the Word of God in preparation for a time like this. Now, now secondly, avoid the, the teacher's pitfall. 
Paul said, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. So what's the, the, the pitfall? It's possibly neglecting the Spirit's gift of teaching. Now, now think about this. Why might a person do that? Why might a person be gifted from the Lord to be able to teach and neglect that gift? Here's one answer. It's out of fear. Because, would you agree with this? That there are people in this world who don't like what the Word of God has to say. Would that be an understatement this morning? Or they just want to argue about all sorts of things. In fact, Paul had already talked about that earlier in this book. For some men, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. Can you imagine that in a church? Can you imagine that in a culture? They've turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they don't understand either what they're saying or matters about which they make such confident assertions. Well, who would want to teach into that week after week after week? What's the answer? Somebody who has the Spirit's gift of teaching. See, don't neglect that. We know that Timothy struggled with fear. That's why Paul would tell him in his next epistle, this time, by the way, written from Paul's second imprisonment, for God's not given us a spirit of timidity. That don't let fear stop you from stirring up your gift. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. See, don't neglect the gift, which is why, by the way, if you know that passage, what had he just said? The previous verse, he said, For this reason I remind you, kindle afresh the gift. The, the, the picture is like a fire. We've all had a fire where it's starting to die down. What do you need to do? Right, you got to stir that baby up. You got to kindle that afresh. And that's exactly what Paul is saying about the gift of teaching. And that would apply to any gift that we'd be given. The kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the, the laying on of my hands. Stir up the embers. And here's one of the bottom lines this morning. Since you didn't come here to have your ears tickled, you realize where that leaves you, right? <laughs> God may have given you the gift to teach at some level, and the truth of the matter is right now you're neglecting that. Well, what do you think the God of heaven would, would want you to hear this morning? You've got to stop that. Isn't that the point of the text? Stop neglecting that gift. And then what do you think the Lord would want you to do? I would encourage you to speak to one of your service pastors and talk with that person about any teaching opportunities that might be available to you. And maybe if you're just getting started in the use of that gift, maybe it's assisting in some way to be trained and, and to learn more about that. Uh, but, but, but don't neglect, and, and I'll tell you something about that. You say, well, if I said that to one of our service pastors, would I have to say it twice? I'm pretty sure you wouldn't. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't. And also, I would just add this, by respecting the church's affirmation, because Paul went on to say, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. And you might say, well, wait a minute, we, we, we don't do it that way anymore. And that is true, but, but don't please miss the, the principle of the verse, which is let your church family help you determine whether you're gifted in this area. So if you're regularly being asked to teach or in your heart you believe you should, 
Don't neglect the gracious teaching gift that the Lord has given you. Now, Paul tells Timothy next, pursue the teacher's priorities. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. And it's interesting then, so that your progress will be evident to all. What does that mean? Well, you have to immerse yourself in it. I like what John Stott said about this. Paul goes on to Timothy's need for concentration and perseverance. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. The second of these two exhortations means literally be in them. That's what it means, literally. Be in, if that's your gift, immerse yourself in these matters. Devote yourself to them with all your heart and soul. The Revised English Bible catches the emphasis well. Make these matters your business. You got that gift? Make these matters your business. Make them your, your absorbing interest. Now, I, I've been talking, obviously, a lot to teachers, but let's flip it. And let's think about those who are, are benefiting from that gift. I, I would encourage you right now just to pause and think about all of the, the teachers in your life. Right, right now, and all the teachers in the, the life of our church or, or for your family members, all of the teachers that they have, and their people, in many cases, they're doing exactly what Paul said. They're exercising their God-given gift, making it a high priority. They're, they're, they're taking pains in these things, that they're being absorbed in that. Well, here's what I want to ask you now. What privilege and what responsibility do we have as we watch such persons exercise their gifts and as we benefit directly or indirectly from their work? Now, now let me walk through a, a, a series of people who teach and, and opportunities that we have to respond to people who teach like this. And I'm going to do it logically, maybe backwards of what we might typically think. But let's start with parents. And men and women who are genuinely seeking to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, they're teaching like this. How can we speak into that? How about looking for opportunities to commend them in the work that they're doing? Being a parent is hard. Did you know that? And we live in just such a negative, critical culture. Being a parent is hard. And if you happen to see somebody's young person doing something right... First, you ought to commend the young person. But how about pulling that thread a little bit more and looking for an opportunity to say something to dad about the good thing that you saw one of their kids doing or say something to mom. Hey, thank you for the great job you're doing as a parent because our church family is benefiting right now from your great parenting. Keep that up. I'll tell you, that might really help a parent, especially if they're having a, a challenging day. What about this? What about parents. We've got some in our church, some undoubtedly right here, who are getting ready to start another year of homeschooling. That's the way they're going to teach. You talk about a challenging task. Well, well, what could we possibly do? How about, how about coming alongside and offering to help in some way? And you might say, what? No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. My guess is that you have a special area of knowledge, maybe totally devoid of teaching, but you know how to do something that could actually become a unit for a homeschool family or a group of homeschool families if you just offered to help them out in some way. Like when I was thinking about this, and I, I was preparing the final part of this message on a flight back from Los Angeles, and so this sometimes 35,000 feet thinking is good, sometimes not. But I'll tell you what came to my mind when I was thinking about that for myself. I ought to offer to teach homeschoolers a class on how to build an in-ground pool. <laughs> and, and what... 
I appreciate you laughing a little bit because I tried that one at Faith East last week, got nowhere. So, so thank you. Thank you for being so teachable. And so I thought, let's pick. Let's pick one homeschool family, maybe, maybe one of those lottery things like Pastor Burke did. But anyway, and, and, and just decide who's going to get it. And then we'll bring all the homeschoolers together and, and they could learn how to build an in-ground pool, right? Absolutely. And if nothing else, it would give them a lifetime of stories to tell if God ever called them to be preachers. But my point is, that's a heavy task. That's the point I'm making. And do we appreciate people who are willing to teach that way? And if so, are we looking for ways to affirm them in part just by lightening their load? What about this? And I appreciate Pastor Burke mentioning this when he was praying. What about people in our church family who teach in public schools? Do we consider that to be a valuable and important mission field? And please tell me the answer to that question in your heart is yes. Do we, do we value the men and women in this church family who are teaching it? In, what an important mission field for sure. Well, how could we serve them? How could we have, because some of them are incredibly diligent. By the way, one way we serve them is don't say stupid things. Like, oh, you only work half the days of the year. You talk to a teacher and you talk about the kind of work they do all year long and the kind of load that they carry. I hope just by having a level of respect in our heart, it would start with that. But how about offering to lighten that load? If you've got some bandwidth, and I don't know, I'm assuming each, each school is different, but man, if you could help grade some papers, that might be an incredible blessing to, to a, a teacher. Or if you could help with a bulletin board, or if you could just be a prayer partner and say, listen, I know you have a particular student in your class that's struggling, and I don't need to know their whole name, but maybe if I just knew their first name. Anytime you're having a struggle, just fire that one off to me, and I'll fire it off to Jesus. I just want to I, I lock arm because I value the teaching ministry that, that God has given you. I hope you're also thinking about what's going on at Faith Christian right now. It's amazing. By the way, it's amazing to live in the state of Indiana do you realize a family can make it about $240,000 a year and still receive a voucher to send their child to a private Christian school like Faith? That's amazing. And so our school is just, we are having incredible growth. And so I hope you're looking for ways just to thank the Lord for them and, and to pray for them in any way that you possibly can. And by the way, if you're one of the people who send your children to that school, I hope you're regularly thanking that teacher for the work they do. And if you ever do have to eventually talk about a problem, and that happens, I hope it's going to be on the foundation of already having thanked and commended them ten times for their work. Now let's back it into the local church. Think about, I asked Pastor Garner to just make a list for me. In a typical week, how many people actually teach around here? And I'm talking about a formal local church ministry at one of our three campuses. It's well over 100 people who are just exercising their gifts, exercising their gifts. And many of us, we benefit from that, right? Our kids are in those classes right now. Our grandkids are in those classes right now. We were in that, that small group or whatever it might have been. And I would just encourage you, if, if we're talking about teachers who are taking pains with these things, they're absorbed with them, what about looking for opportunities to thank them? That might be a good time for a thank you note. That is becoming a lost art in this culture. It takes a pen. You know what one of those is? You take the pen, and, and, it take, and you say, I'm going to send an email. You know what? At some, time, at some point, emails just get lame. I'm, I'm sorry. And I realize you might say, well, you sent me three this week. I know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about my emails. I'm talking about everybody else's. But 
just a thank you note, a handwritten thank you note. And you know what? You could slide a Starbucks card in that baby. You want to juice that thing up a little bit, slide um, some sort of a gift card to there and just thank the Lord for teachers who, who make this a priority by the way they immerse themselves in their craft. Now, now Paul also says this. There, there has to be a level of authenticity. He says, so that your progress will be evident to all. And th- th- I really like what John Stott said about that particular phrase. He said, the example which Christian leaders set then, whether in their life or their ministry, should be dynamic and progressive. You know what that means, right? They're getting better. People should be able to observe not only what they are, but what they're becoming, supplying evidence that they're growing into maturity in Christ. Some Christian leaders imagine that they have to appear perfect, (laughs) Uh uh-oh, with no visible flaws, Uh uh-oh, or blemishes, but there are at least two reasons why this is a mistake. First, it's hypocritical. Right? Since none of us is a paragon of all virtues, it's dishonest to pretend to be. Secondly, the pretense discourages people, who then suppose that their leaders are altogether exceptional and even inhuman. That's one of the nice things about being at the same church for a long time. You might say, I've never like thought that about you once. Well, okay, I get that. I get that. Paul himself conceded that he had not arrived. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. And then Stott said, in the same way, we should not give the false impression that we've reached our goal. On the contrary, we're still on the road. Teachers of that, still pilgrims. We we, we see the truth of that principle played out right around this church week after week. When Pastor Good brought me here 36 years ago, immediately he put me in the preaching rotation. He also carved off a portion of his Sunday school class, so I had a Sunday school class to teach just from from day one. Why is that? The answer is preaching isn't something you study in books. It's just not. You, you, you have to do it. It's like so many things in life. You, you just have to practice. And I'm thankful for the patience of this church family. And I realize you might say under your breath, you know, you're not very good now. You should have seen me 36 years ago. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad for, for the patients who are willing to let time go by and look for progress now, I will tell you, Pastor Goode had some fun along the way. <laughs> he sure did. If you've kind of followed that, that part of my story, before Pastor Goode was here in Lafayette, he was up in Gary. So I was a little guy in his church. When I turned 13, he and his wife left Gary and came down here to Lafayette. You can decide if there's any connection between me becoming a teenager and him fleeing town in the middle of the night. But, but anyway, that, that's what happened. So now he's down here in Lafayette. But he and I, we kept con- in, in contact with one another. He was just that kind of a guy. I eventually started going to the Christian school up there, and they had a choir. So I was in the choir, and so we would travel around on choir tour. And then they would have one of the young men kind of give a devotional, kind of preach. Well, in our choir tour from Calumet Baptist High School up in Gary, we came down to Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette where Pastor Goode was now pastoring. I was probably 16 years old at the time. And guess who the guy was who, who preached on choir tour at Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette, Indiana? Yeah, it was me. It, it was me. So then, probably 13 years later, I finish up all my education, and now I'm back on staff. Guess what Pastor Goode does? He goes back into the archives, our cassette tape archives. And I realize for some of you, what's a cassette tape? You'll have to Google that. But, but he went into our cassette tape archives, found the tape of me preaching here when I was 16 years old. And that's when our building over there was brand new, had a sound system that went through the entire church. 
during the week, he would put that cassette tape in the player and just broadcast it all around the church building for me and what few staff members we had to enjoy. Let's just say he thought that was a whole lot funnier than I did because um, it was, well, a lot of progress needed to occur. I'll just say it like that. Well, in seriousness, I know you'd say this. Aren't you glad for the development of our younger pastoral staff members? You're, you're seeing the progress, aren't you? And I believe that one of the ways that I serve our church family the best is by having as many godly pastors as possible who are just able to teach the Word of God effectively. And sure, every so often some church steals one of our people away to be their senior pastor, and, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, but that kind of proves the point. And Paul said it like this, The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So when one of these younger guys speaks, I do want to encourage you, commend them. That'll make a big difference. Just take time to commend them. Because of the kind of people who take pains with these things, they're absorbed in them. And praise the Lord, their progress is evident to all. Also, adopt the teacher's humility. Pay, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. I mentioned when we were reading, that's very similar to what Paul said to the Ephesian elders. Be on guard for your, yourselves and for all the flock. And that's true in all sorts of ways. How should a, a teacher be on guard for himself? But it goes along with what I said before, Timothy's own temptation not to do what these verses of Scripture are saying just because of fear, because of timidity, now, now, something else, we, we just need to deal with this somewhere along the line here, so let, let's talk about it here. Where should the gift be exercised first? And that goes back to the very first verse we started with this morning. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What that means is the, these gifts are given by the Lord to be first and foremost used in the context of local church ministry. So I want to ask you this morning, and you'll have to decide what you believe about this, but, but what about the person who would say, well, I teach or exercise whatever gifts we might be discussing. I do that out in the world all through the week, or I, I do that at my job during the week. Don't ask me to do that same thing in the Lord's house on Sunday or in some other local church ministry throughout the week. What, what about that? And we're not going to be legalistic. Every situation is different. Ultimately, that's between you and the Lord. But I do remember having a conversation with a man who used his particular gift at work all week. And then when he was asked to serve in the church using that same gift, here's what he said to me. He said, that would be like asking the mailman to go on a walk on his day off. And he was referring to somebody who walked his mail route. If I'm already doing that, and my work, don't be asking me to do that in the Lord's house on, the day, on my day off. And I would just ask, what do you think about that? And I just at least want to throw out the, the, the question, shouldn't the Lord and his people receive our first? A and shouldn't the Lord and his people receive our, our best? So, so pay attention to yourself, Paul says, and pay attention to your, your teaching and I know I've said a lot about this this morning, but when you see a teacher do that, I just encourage you to thank and commend them. About a year ago, I want to talk about Ryan and Mackenzie's wedding for a minute. About a year, I said a week ago. Did I just say a week? 
you've been married a year, right? About a year ago, I had the opportunity to do um, Mackenzie and Ryan's um, wedding. Mackenzie is up from the Calumet area where, where I grew up, and um, they were going to have their wedding back in the Calumet area at her home church, but they wanted to have a connection back to the church that they're a part of now, and so they asked me if I would do the wedding, and I was more than, than happy to, to do that. Well, what's a bit unusual, I'll try to keep this story clear, but it gets a little convoluted. What's a little bit unusual is I knew Mackenzie's parents. I went to school with them. And what that also means is I knew Mackenzie's grandparents, including her grandpa, Kenny Van Trees. Now, so he would have been the father of some of the kids I grew up with, if you're still with me. Well, that means I knew her grandpa 40 years ago as a much younger man. And what I remember about him is this. I, I remember him as being a godly leader in his church, and I remember him being a, a godly leader in the Christian school that I attended. And what stood out about him and also a lot of other people in that generation when I was in high school, they were just constantly encouraging us to live for the Lord. And they were constantly celebrating any time that we did something right. Well, now, all these years later, um, Mackenzie's grandpa has Parkinson's. And so has very limited mobility. And so during the wedding... The family brought him in to sit right in the front row because obviously they wanted him to be part of the service even though he's struggling um, so much physically. So I did the wedding, had a great time doing the wedding, was very privileged to do that. And then Ryan and Mackenzie had asked me to stand up and let some other people be dismissed. And then after that was done, then I would give a general dismissal. So what that meant is I, I was standing up after the wedding still in my place for a longer time than normal. And I was just happening to, you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to just kind of pan around, just look at people that I might know and that sort of thing. And I happened to pan over to Mackenzie's grandpa who was sitting right there. And I hadn't seen him in a long, long time. And, and with all the strength that he still had, he did this. He pulled his hand up like this and gave me a thumbs up. In other words, he, he gave me an attaboy. Good job on the wedding. And, and listen, I'm, I'm a 63-year-old man. I'm not sure how many attaboys I still ought to need or want. But I, here's what I thought in that moment. That's what Kenny Van Trees has been doing for me and people like me my entire life. Just celebrating any time I did something well for the Lord. Celebrate, just encouraging me to continue to go on. And I thought this in my heart at that moment. Listen, if Kenny Van Trees, with all of his might, can get his thumb up like that, Look, I, I got a healthy body right now, and I, I want to be more and more like that, in part just encouraging the teachers in my life. Well, I know, I just, speaking of teaching, I don't have the gift of going short. I pray my progress has not been evident at all in that. But, but anyway, celebrate the, the teacher's impact. And I realized to myself, well, that's not a, a challenge. Well, you have to persevere in order to get the benefits of the verse and you realize we have teachers around here who count their faithfulness not in months, not, not in years, but in decades. What that means is they didn't quit. And this verse affirms, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. You say, well, what could that even mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that if we teach well, we're going to be saved. Of course not. But, but it does mean this. If we're faithfully teaching the way this passage of Scripture says, that's a demonstration of our salvation. Why? 
Because if it's happening, it's only happening because of the grace of the Lord. Because who's the great teacher? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not talking about you becoming a better version of yourself here. Don't you hate that phrase? (laughs) We're talking about becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this. He says, he says, your faithfulness may be used to draw somebody else to the Savior. You know, we're at the place now in life where we're not just seeing the impact of teachers on our children, but on our grandchildren. Here's some of the greatest sound that, that come to a person's ear. It's hearing a grandchild pray. It's hearing a grandchild recite a verse of Scripture. It's hearing a, a grandchild sing um, a sweet Christian song. Well, what's that the product of? That's the product of teachers exercising their beautiful God-given gift. Let, let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, you're gracious. We, we, we've seen that mapped throughout this passage. This is all because of your gracious gifts. And Father, thank you for providing teachers for us. And Lord, if we are um, gifted in that way, I pray that we would stir it up I pray that we would not neglect it. I pray that we would use it in a way that is consistent with this passage. And Lord, if we're the beneficiaries of those who have that gift, I pray that our hearts would be filled with gratitude and the kind of gratitude that would motivate us to action. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.